Acts chapter 25, Acts chapter 25. The message this morning is Paul's witness to Festus. Paul's witness to Festus. Give you a little introduction here, kind of a background before we get into the scriptures. In the last part of, of, of Acts, beginning here, Paul is a prisoner of Rome. Now, he's a prisoner of Rome, and when you think of a prisoner, right off you think, oh, I wonder what he did. What did he do wrong? Why did he get arrested? Why is he in jail? Well, it's not because Paul had done anything wrong. It's because he's done everything right. And you think, well, that's not fair. That's not, you're, you're right. It's not. He hasn't done anything wrong. And, and this is a lesson that we all need to keep in mind as well, is that sometimes as a Christian, things happen. And maybe you get falsely accused of something. You're in some situation, some circumstance that is unfavorable, as just totally wrong, and you're wondering, well, where did I mess up? Is God mad at me? Did I, did I do something wrong that he just, you know, is angry with me? You know, am I out of God's will? But it could be just the very opposite. Now, there are sometimes we do things that, you know, that cause, that, that, that cause us to get into our own messes, but you know, if you have a peace of mind and conscience and, and, and you know that, hey, I haven't done anything, you're, you may right be smack dab in the middle of God's will, even though you're, you know, you're, you're going through this, this tough time. Because you've done everything right, you know, you, you're, you know, you're, you know, you're in the will of God, again, that doesn't mean that you're not, never going to have any difficult times. But Paul hasn't done anything wrong. He's in jail. He's in prison because of his faithfulness. And Paul made the greatest impact on the world for Jesus Christ. He had evangelized the lost. Paul challenged the false religions without backing down. Paul founded churches. Paul disciplined, I'm sorry, discipled faithful men for the job of spreading the gospel. But his hard-working, faithful, uh, faithful, tireless work stirred up a lot of hatred and opposition from the enemies of the gospel. Not long after Paul got saved, it says in Acts 9.22, he grew in strength and he confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving this Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Those who knew Paul, <clears throat> they were shocked. And they were furious by his amazing and shocking change from a persecutor to a preacher. So the Jews got together and they came up with a plan to kill the Apostle Paul. Why? Just for speaking about Jesus. And, and we, see, we see a lot of anti-Christian you know, persecution, not to the degree we saw here, but it, 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 you don't know, we, we don't know, it could get there. We see the anti-God status out here in the world and don't, they don't want the scriptures, they don't want you know, God in, 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 the, in the government, they don't want him in the schools, they, the courtrooms, wherever they can get rid of him. They're trying to these days and trying to eliminate scripture and, and so we see that in a sense here in our world. 
And so they were shocked because Paul, at one time, he was, he was persecuting Christians. He was killing them. He was putting them in jail. And that's what well, they, they, they like that. But now he's gotten saved. He's now uh, walking with God. He's now, Christ is his Savior. Now he's preaching Christ. And the people want him dead. And so he's turned from a persecutor to preacher. So the Jews got together. They came up with a plot to kill him. But Paul found out about the plot to kill him and he managed to escape and that incident set the pattern for Paul's ministry it started that way and it stayed that way and it seemed like everywhere Paul went he faced hostility opposition even obvious persecution most of his opposition came from the unbelieving Jews something that that really grieved Paul in Romans 9, 1 through 3, Paul says, My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, the Jews. He says, My Jewish brothers and sisters. Other times, it came from Gentile followers uh, of false religion, like in Ephesus. Now, we've already learned that, that Paul's Jewish enemies had him arrested by the Romans on trumped-up charges. They were bogus. And for the next several years, Paul remained a prisoner, first in Jerusalem, then in Caesarea, and finally in Rome. And during that time, he defended himself against the false charges that were brought against him. Not long after that, Roman troops rescued him from the angry mob on the temple grounds. Paul defended himself on that occasion, too, on the steps of, uh, of Fort Antonia. Uh, then Claudius Lysias, the uh, commander of the Roman soldiers uh, at Jerusalem, he couldn't determine Paul's crime. So he brings Paul before the Sanhedrin, the highest court in the land. But the highest court in the land in Israel, they failed to convict him of any wrongdoing. Then after learning about the plot to kill Paul, Claudius Lysias sent him to Caesarea, the Roman headquarters in Judea, where he stood trial before the governor, Felix, and again, no real charges uh, were brought against him in that situation either. But Felix... Governor Felix, being afraid of the Jewish authorities and hoping for a bribe from Paul, didn't make a verdict, so he leaves him in prison for the remaining two years of his term as governor. So here's Paul in prison for a couple of years, all because of preaching the gospel. Chapter 25 here tells us about Paul's fourth defense before Porcius Festus, who replaced Governor Felix. Felix's vicious term in office offended, I'm sorry, ended in the ruthless calming of a riot in Caesarea. Now, when the angry Jews sent a delegation to Rome to protest Felix's actions, Emperor Nero called the governor to Rome in disgrace. Festus soon arrived in Judea to replace Felix. Festus was a member of the Roman upper class. Now, not a lot is known about Festus and his short time as a governor, but he died about two years after he took office. The first century Jewish historian Josephus described Festus as better than Felix, and his successor Albinus seems to have been a good leader. So with that little bit of background, now let's get into our, our lesson here in chapter 25, beginning with verses 1 through 5. And it says, Now Festus had come to the province... After three days, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem, while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept in Caesarea, 
and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. So in verses 1 through 5, well, verses 1 through 12 altogether, they're important because Paul appealed to Caesar. And it sets the stage for the rest of the book and also for how Paul got to Rome. One thing that was causing a lot of worry and anxiety for a while on the minds of the religious authorities was a trial for Paul because they knew they didn't have any charges against him. They knew their case was so weak that, that the only way they could get rid of Paul, as we read, was to ambush him, to kill him while he was being transferred from Caesarea to Jerusalem. And it seems that Festus felt like their request wasn't necessary. So he promised to reopen the case in Caesarea. Paul was already there, and Festus was going there. Verses 6 through 12. And when he had remained among them more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, notice which they could not prove, while he answered for himself. Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong as you very well know. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. So the Jews were clearly disappointed that their plan to kill Paul was hindered again. They did come to Caesar as suggested by Felix, and another trial of Paul was ordered. All of this was so clearly wrong, because Paul had not been proven guilty of any wrongdoing. And yet, think about it, he was kept locked up for two years, and now another trial is scheduled. Paul's accusers are described as influential because if you look at verse 5, it says, notice, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man. The word authority spoke of influential people. The word authority refers to men in leadership among the Jews. Not just anybody would be Paul's accusers. They will be the Jewish leaders. Not only were they influential, they were intimidating. Because verse 7 says, notice, these men of influence stood about. They stood about the process, the court, the proceedings. That means they stood around the judgment seat and they would intimidate those who were on trial by their posture and position. You know, they made have stood there with their arms folded and just staring at the guy and just intimidating them. You know, as they're being tried in the court system. Evil often seems to be too powerful to overcome. Evil, you know, powerful people, you know, situations that you might get in that you just look, there's no way I'm going to get out of this. Evil, like I said, sometimes looks too powerful to overcome. But here's the thing, righteousness will get the victory. 
Satan may come at you like a roaring lion. And always remember the words, roaring, like, like a roaring lion. He doesn't come at you a roaring lion. He's like a roaring lion. He, he, he's big and vicious, may make a lot of noise, but that's all he is. He doesn't have any teeth. He doesn't have any claws. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he defeated Satan. He just comes and, and makes a big noise. There were a lot of accusations made against Paul, according to verse 7 here. Here's the, here's the point. Living a godly life does not mean you will not go through difficult times. Living a godly life doesn't keep you from being accused of a lot of evil things. Even Jesus Christ, who was sinless, He had never did anything wrong. He never committed a sin. He was sinless, the sinless Son of God. Jesus was accused of evil. He was accused of many evil things. Anybody who imagines that the Christian faith always leads to health, wealth, and prosperity and comfort has forgotten about Paul. Go back and look at what Paul went through if you think the, that becoming a Christian means you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous as there are some that teach that doctrine. Paul was under some very harsh conditions. Paul wasn't under such delusions of everything was going to be sweet and nice. Paul knew very well that faithfulness to God brings difficulty sometimes, not ease. Now, not every godly believer will be slandered or imprisoned, tortured, or martyred for his faith. Who knows? It could come to that place before Jesus comes back. We don't know. But even Paul had breaks in his mistreatment. But all faithful believers should expect some kind of opposition from the world. We're seeing it now. We're seeing that opposition against Christianity and Christians and God's word now. And understand that when opposition becomes severe enough, they will suffer for their faith, just like Paul and Timothy did. Persecution of the godly will continue until Jesus returns. And Christians, you've got to remember, you're in a spiritual battle. The world is not a playground for the Christian. It's a battlefield. And Satan's out there planting traps, planting spiritual mines, if you will, to, to, to destroy you. You know, there were battles when, when, when Israel got to the land of Canaan. But that was the promised land. God says, I'm going to take you. It's your land. This is the promised land. But Canaan is not a picture of heaven. Many, some, some people think that it's a picture of heaven. It's not. It's a picture of your spiritual life on earth because there were battles in Canaan. See, when we get to heaven, there will be no battles. The battles will be over. But the Canaan land is a picture of our spiritual life here on earth. There are battles. There will be battles. So, again, many of the accusations made against Paul, they were painful, according to verse 7. They were serious, it says. And the word serious in verse 7 speaks of heavy and weighty. The accusations would be troubling. So they were very painful to Paul because he's being accused of something he didn't do. And even though, here's the thing too, even though a person is innocent of the charges, those accusations made against you, they still hurt. And those charges sometimes will stick to you, stick to your person for the rest of your life. Those false charges, those accusations, those evil things said about you have, have, and have never been proven to be true, they, 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 they keep going. And again, you know, it, it, those things can stick to the person and even ruin the reputation. 
Evolution has no proof. It's a theory. And yet evil continues to teach it in the schools. Because you see, it does away with God. There's no God. You, you weren't created by God. By some poor, some creature that crawled out of some primordial ooze and you walked along a rock and then got a little bump on the bottom and the broad bottom, that bump turned into a leg and then to, you know, really, that's harder, that's harder to believe than an almighty God created us. And yet people believe, why? Because it takes God out of their life. They are not accountable to God. They don't want to be accountable to God. Thus, when you say, oh, those, those people live like animals, well, they believe they were created from animals, so they're getting the genes and all the, the natural goodies from the animal world. But God created us, and it says, in his image. So again, even though evolution has no proof, it's continued to be taught. Yet evil continues to be taught. Again, because it does away with God. That's what people want. Evil habits, evil vices, sexual immorality, sexual depravity, abortion. These practices have never been proven to be good for people. They've never been proven to be good practices. But much of the world accepts them and supports them. They support unbiblical and ungodly behavior, even people who claim to be Christians. But evil doesn't have proof for its philosophies and its claims. But again, that doesn't stop evil from teaching its philosophies and making its claims. Paul's answer to the charges is similar to the answers that he gave in his first trial. Paul didn't have a lawyer or any help. In verse 8, it says he answered for himself. He was defending himself. But his defense in the trials, he, it, it, he was so skilled. And Paul is innocent of all these accusations that were brought against him. Governor Festus, like Governor Felix before him, they didn't have enough character or integrity to do the right thing. That is, to drop the charges and dismiss the case. Instead of justice, he tried to appease the Jews. Pontius Pilate did the same thing with Jesus Christ. When Pilate, you know, these charges were brought against Jesus and all these things by all these people and, and the liars were hired to, to lie about Jesus. And it says, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, notice it says, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude and he said, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person, you see to it. He said that in Matthew 27, verse 24. He passed the buck. Just like Felix did. And he, said, he, just, he kept Paul in prison. And now Portius Festus has taken the case. Didn't have the guts. Didn't have the character. Didn't have the integrity to say, hey, this man has not done anything wrong. I'm letting him go. Just because Pontius Pilate washed his hands of the situation, it didn't change the facts. Pilate could have freed Jesus, but instead he gave in to the wishes of the people and he refused to let Jesus go. Instead of carrying out justice, Pilate was wanting to please the crowd. That's what it says in Matthew 15, 15. He wanted to please the people. It's something that a lot of politicians do right now. Politicians and legislators, lawmakers, people running for office. What do they want to do? They want to please the people. Tell them anything they need to hear. Tell them anything you want them to hear. Make them believe that you're going to do all of this for them. 
Something that politicians and judges do in every age, which results in so much corruption in the land that dishonors God. Now, some people think that Paul made a mistake going through the court system here. That he should have never appealed to Caesar. They think he should have simply let his case rest with Festus. But you see, Festus was going to use Paul for his own political gains. And Festus was going to take Paul back to Jerusalem. So, you know, I I don't think that Paul made a mistake here. Paul was a Roman citizen. Paul exercised his rights as a citizen, which was the normal and right thing to do. There are times when Christians can and must use the law to protect themselves and the ministry. That's what our court system is for. When, especially when it's working good and working right. Going back to Jerusalem would have meant death for Paul. Because remember, they were waiting in ambush for him. Paul doesn't purposely make himself a martyr in this situation. In fact, he did what he could to avoid being martyred. Now, there are people today who take the position of martyrs that God didn't give them. Oh, I'm going to die for Christ. You know, if God, God didn't put him in that position. Sometimes when people are diagnosed with a terminal illness, they think that that now I can suffer for Christ and maybe die for Christ. Remember that two years before uh, before this, the Lord appeared to Paul and told him in Acts 23, 11, Paul, you must also bear witness in Rome. God told Paul two years before this, this chapter here, before this court scene, he said, Paul, you're going to be my witness for me in Rome. So Paul wasn't about to be a martyr. He says, I got to go to Rome. I got to go there because God's sending me there. That's what's taking place here. He went to Rome by the will of God. He was in chains. So you might think, or he might think, oh, well, I'm in prison here. How am I going to get to Rome? Well, he was in chains, but the Lord didn't tell him how he was going to get there. But if God says you're going to get there, you're going to get there. there no ands, ifs, or buts. Satan might want to lie to you and say, oh, how are you going to get there? How are you going to do that? Look at what you're in. Look what, you, look what your situation is. How are, you, how are you going to get there? God must have lied to you, Paul. Jesus said, you are going to go to Rome for me, Paul. Even though he was in chains. That's the importance of remembering God's word, what he says. Paul said, well, wait a minute. Jesus said, I'm going to Rome, so these chains aren't going to keep me here. This prison isn't going to keep me here. Jesus said, I'm going to Rome. Plain and simple. That's what, I guess that's what's taking place here. He was in chains, but you know, God doesn't tell us how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. This was all, what Paul's going through was all a part of God's plan. When Paul wrote to the Romans, he told them that he was, he was praying that he would be able to come to Rome. And then he asked them to pray for him that he might be able to come. So again, I believe that, that Paul went to Rome by the will of God. In verse 11, it kind of sounds like Paul was impatient. He says, for if I'm an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in, the th- in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver, uh, can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. He says, let's get on with this. Let's move ahead. Rome was known for its justice. And Paul respected authority. But Paul isn't getting justice here, so he makes this legal appeal. 
God intended for Paul to use his rights as a Roman citizen. So this shows us how God leads some people in one way and how he leads people, other people in another way. Some of the others couldn't claim the protection of Roman citizenship like Paul. So again, what has the Lord done for you? What has he given you? How has he led you? How can you use it for his glory? Whatever it is, you should use it for him. If you're in a political position, you should use that position for him. If the Lord has put something in your hand, use it for him. Remember Moses? God put a rod in his hand. What do you do with that rod? What's I'm going to do with this worthless stick? God used that rod that he put in his hand as an instrument. It wasn't just a stick. It was to be used for the glory of God. That's the whole idea here with Paul. Paul had his Roman citizenship. It was like a rod in his hand and he's going to use it for God. Festus is forced to agree with Paul. He can't stop Paul from going to court. In, 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 uh, in Caesar, uh, in the court of Caesar in Rome. Verses 13 through 27. No, 13 through 27. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me, when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against them. To them I answered, It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has an opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed. But I had, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be... Uh, but when Paul appealed to be reserved for the uh, decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and, and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at Festus's command, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found out that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. So Festus now has just become the new governor replacing 
Felix. And so, the king, so King Agrippa now comes over for a visit. King Agrippa and Bernice come. Now, Bernice was the oldest daughter of Agrippa I of Acts chapter 12, verse 20. They stayed there quite a long time. Verse 14 says they stayed many days. Festus says to King Agrippa, hey, we have a prisoner here. It's kind of a strange case. The prisoner name is Paul, and he was arrested and brought here by Felix. And Felix left him here for me, and I'd like you to hear his case. Sometimes, again, we think that Roman law wasn't fair because we've seen how it went so wrong uh, in the case of the Lord. And Jesus also here in, in Paul's case. But see, it wasn't a problem with the law. Just like many of our laws today, the laws aren't the problem. It's the people who are supposed to enforce them. They don't, or they water them down, or they change them to meet their narrative, whatever they're supporting, whatever they're trying to sell. We need people that have integrity and carry to, to enforce the laws of the land, to enforce the Constitution. That's why they're to be there. That's what, that's what the whole Constitution and the, all the lawmakers were to do, to be men and women of integrity and to do what they were supposed to do. But again, just like here in Rome, it's not happening. So again, the, the law wasn't a problem. It was the crooked politicians. And we still operate under that principle of Roman law that no man is to be sentenced until they stand in front of those that have accused them and, 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 and stand there in the, in, 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 again, in witness of the crime that he's established. The problem is always the same. The problem was the resurrection that's it, the resurrection. Paul was preaching the resurrection, and some did not believe in the resurrection. We see from this that Paul witnessed about the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that Festus knew about it. Festus was actually kind of in the hot seat here. The charge against Paul was treason, punishable by death, but he hadn't committed any crime. No crimes. Now Paul has appealed to Caesar. I mean, what can you do with a guy like Paul? He's not messing around. He's a tough prisoner. So he asks Agrippa, help me out. And notice how this meeting was arranged by a king and a governor. And yet all along they were actually fulfilling the prophecy that, that, that God spoke and didn't know it. Paul is to stand before kings, remember? Acts chapter 9, 15. Just as Jesus said. And Festus and Caesar and, 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 and uh, Felix and all these guys, they're fulfilling the prophecy that Jesus spoke. Paul, you will go to Rome. They're just instruments and tools in fulfilling that prophecy. Think about it. Wherever and whenever did a preacher like Paul here ever have a greater audience than Paul? All these you know, high-profile high people, governors and kings. And had the opportunity to preach the gospel. This is a powerful setting. These were powerful people with great pomp and ceremony. Picture it again. Paul shows up in court and he's in chains. And he's in front of all of these impressive people. Kings and rulers. And Festus is asking Agrippa to help him come up with charges against Paul. So he could send him to Caesar. Paul uses this chance to preach one of the greatest sermons ever recorded. We do know that the hand of God was seen in all of this. And the purposes of God 
were carried out. And they will always be carried out. That's comforting for us to know. That like, whatever we're doing for God, however we might be serving Him, when our work comes, when our work comes to a standstill, know that it will be carried out because God has said it's going to be. If God has sent you on a mission, it will be carried out because God said it's going to be. In Hebrews, the writer said to the Hebrews in chapter 13, 5 through 6, Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may, so we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? He might try to stop you. He might throw up all kinds of obstacles and try to keep you from fulfilling the purposes and the will of God, but he cannot stop you. Now, a more accurate translation of the end of this verse where it says, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what can... I'm sorry, where it says, for he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. A more accurate translation of the end of this verse is, I will never, never fail you and never, never forsake you. God's promise to us. Think about it. Being content with our present circumstances does not mean we shouldn't be concerned about the present evils that we can do something about. In other words, we might be in a situation in a circumstance, it just seems so overwhelming, but just because we're in that evil circumstance doesn't mean we should just sit back and let it be. If there are things that we can do to get out of it, we are, just like Paul. <clears throat> he's in an evil situation, but he's, he's going to the court system and wanting to appeal to different people to get out. So again, it, does, it, it means that we are to accept cheerfully our circumstances that are providentially allowed by God. And that's the other thing to remember. Whatever, whatever situation I'm in, God knows about it. It didn't, it didn't slip through God's fingers. He's not going, oh man, how did that happen? Oh man, I missed that one. No, he's allowed it, arranged it, or designed it for your purpose, for your goodwill. And that's the important thing to remember. God is in control of every situation and he allows things to happen in our life for, for, for reasons that many times we aren't aware of. We don't know. We can't figure it out. Now, be, being content with our present circumstances doesn't mean we're to be unresponsive to try to make things better. The Hebrew Christians that these words were written to that I just read from Hebrews chapter 11. Or I'm going to read from chapter 11. The Hebrew Christians that these words were written to had suffered fierce persecutions where their worldly goods had been taken away, more than their worldly goods. <clears throat> Listen to this section in Hebrew 11, on, which is called the, 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 the chapter of faith. It says, They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Those were people who became Christians. And when they became Christians, they got persecuted. They were run out of town. They lost their jobs. They lost their belongings. They lost their homes. And it says they wandered around in sheepskins and, and goatskins. They were destitute. They were afflicted, tormented. 
They weren't worthy of this world, the Bible says. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth because they had nowhere to go. It's real easy for us to give in to bitterness and unhappiness. You know, how, how we get distressed and distraught because we don't have the possessions and the advantages and the successes of, the, of other people. How seemingly hopeless we get forgetting that each one of us is indescribably precious to the Lord Jesus who redeemed us, who bought us with his precious blood and his tears and his suffering. And he said, I will never, never leave you. I will never, never fail you. In Genesis 50, chapter 19, verse 20, Joseph said to them, speaking to his brothers who abandoned him, who wanted to kill him. And then they came to his brother for help. They didn't know it was his brother, though, when they came to him for help. But then he reveals himself to his brothers, and he said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Joseph, <clears throat> because he had a dream, that God gave him a dream, and he told his dream to his brothers and his family. They got all bent out of shape. Who do you think you are? We'll never bow down to you. You'll never rule over us. God said he would one day. And several years later, we see, jo we see Joseph raised up to the second highest position in Egypt, just under the Pharaoh. But Joseph had worked and served under Pharaoh, and Pharaoh saw what a godly and righteous man he was, and he put him in that position. And so when the land had this famine, everybody was starving, Joseph's brothers went to Egypt to ask for help. And when they went to see Joseph, they didn't know it was his brother. But Joseph knew it was his brothers, and he confessed. And they were afraid they were going to die or get, get paid back for what they did to Joseph. But Joseph said, Joseph said, don't be afraid, my brothers. I'm here because God put me here. I know what you meant to do against me was meant for evil, but God has put me here and meant it for good in order that I may save many lives. Because he was, again, wise in distributing what he had in the land. God has a purpose. We might look at it as evil, but God, hey, I, I'm, he's going to use it for good. What, what would have happened if Joseph would have quit? He went to jail for a couple of years too, falsely accused of raping Pharaoh's wife. What if he would have said, hey, I'm done, I quit. I'm not doing this anymore. He would have missed his destiny. What if he, again, when his brother said, and they left him in that pit, I, I'm, I'm quitting, I'm moving away. You see, quitting is always easier than enduring. It's, all, it's, it's easier to, to walk away, to walk out on trouble rather than work out. It's always easier to stomp out of a room in anger and disappointment than to stay and to fix the problem. And when life doesn't turn out the way you planned it, man, quitting seems to be the next best thing to do. I'm done. Quitting will always start to look like sweet relief. I don't have to put up with this anymore. But as a Christian, always remember, it's always too soon to quit. 
Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful word, God. Father, we thank you for, really, this is an encouraging chapter for us, God. To know that even in the midst of the deepest pit and in the greatest difficulty, you are there with us in there, in that pit, walking with us, encouraging us, lifting us up, God. Standing upon your promises, we go forward, God. So, Lord, may you just bless our hearts today. May we remember those things, God. That you never leave us nor forsake us. And that you're always with us. And that you've arranged, designed, allowed those difficulties in my life for your, for your glory and for my good. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Tony's going to come and lead.